Yo, okay, guys, what's going on today? I'm with my guy Nick Karaskus. Well done. I always get nervous about that. I don't know why, because this one time I was on stage, Nick, and I got someone's like surname wrong, and I was like, I've been so paranoid since. I was like, no, I can't get it wrong. I need to double check. I need to double check. But how are you? Very well, thanks. Good to see you again. Um, you too. We saw each other last week. We did, yeah. Um, you've been seeing a lot of me lately. <laughs> on and off, yeah. On and off. Last week it was because of my dad, or well, and me. And you, I guess. Yeah, mainly because of the legends. Yeah. Cartal Senior. Yeah. <laughs> For you guys that don't know, my dad had a Sunday league game like last week and he got in goal. My dad still plays Sunday league and he went to save the ball. He saved it. He took. What, what happened? You tell me. What, what was the injury? <laughs> he tore he tore his bicep, partially tore his bicep. I can't, I can't believe he's still goalkeeping at his age. But he, you uh, know what he said um, to me? He said like, oh, "I didn't feel anything. I just carried on for the next like yeah. forty minutes yeah. or so." I mean, that's that's what he played on, didn't they? So yeah, that old school uh, mentality. Amazing, yeah. Um, Good man, he um, he tore his bicep, and I didn't even see. I went to the house to see my parents, and when I was there, he had like ice. He's just had ice there. And I was like, what's going on, dad? And he goes, oh, it's just a little, got a bit of a bruise. And when he took it off, I was like, Big Mel, <laughs> where's your bicep? What's going on? And then on top of that, I did my QL, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My QL. And for the people that don't know Nick, Nick's not, you're not the biggest person on social media, are you? Not really, no. No. Is it because I'm, you don't? I'm there, what? but no, it's not really my thing. Why, why are you there? Why am I there? Um, initially, it was just more to kind of keep in touch with um, friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I come from Greece and my fam- a lot of my family is still there. Uh, I've got friends in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, America, um, South America, like a lot of my university friends. So it's nice yeah. to kind of keep in touch with each other. But you don't, your accent's not a Greek accent, is it? It is not, no, no. I spent, uh, spent 11 years in Glasgow where I did my uh, physiotherapy degree and my master's uh, before I moved down to London 2004. Yeah. And um, I've known Nick since I was 17. 17. Because I first came to you with that injury for my... Um, it was your groin, wasn't it? It was my groin. Adductor, yeah. It was my adductor. And it was crazy because at the time... and. All the physios that I worked with, um, not saying anything to NHS physios, any NHS physios listening to this, but everyone that I went to was like giving me a piece of paper and be like, just go do these exercises. Yeah. When I told them like the injury and I was like, and I didn't know, I didn't know what it was like to experience, what it was like to experience having a good physiotherapist. So I kind of, I was just like, okay, cool. I'll go do this. And nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. The first thing they said to me was, yeah, you need to rest. You need to take... I think what they said was like five or six months off or something, something crazy. It was like, right, you need okay. to take this much time off. This was what, over 10 years ago now. And I came to you, uh, I got your contact through a friend of my sister randomly. And I went to come and see you. And I remember coming to see you and I actually canceled my gym membership thinking I right, need okay. to rest. And the first thing you said was like, sign back up. Yeah. <laughs> and my head was like, hold on a second. I'm injured. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be trained. You get a lot of people that get shocked at that sort of like. Yes, approach. I do. Yeah, and it's just a very common um, approach from probably more medics these days than physiotherapists. But like back then, we're talking about 10, 10 12 years ago. The physios were the same. <clears throat> that they um, rest is the answer to to an injury. Yeah. Um, 
which in some cases is correct, if, but you're only really resting the injured part. Okay. Uh, there is much, uh, there's an awful lot of benefits of, of continuing exercise to any capacity you can. Uh, so we're talking about endorphin release. We're talking about, you know, your body's natural long painkillers, uh, which help with the recovery, uh, reduce inflammation, reduce swelling, all those kind of things that uh, exercise induces. So from my point of view, as much as the person exercise, I get them to do them. Um, mm-hmm. So you might have to rest the injured part for a, for a short period of time, but I can't think of any disadvantage of exercise in general. Okay. What, what, what was the natural painkillers that you just said? Endorphins. Okay. And you're saying that it just redu- it reduces <coughs> the pain or it takes your mind off it? Uh, it reduces the pain. It acts like a painkiller. Okay. So if you, if you think of like in a simplified uh, way, so that little fridge you got there, you've got one of them inside your brain. Okay. And it's full of all the medicines that you will go and get from any pharmacy. Okay. So the trick is knowing how to release it. Okay, they exist inside your body. The body is very clever in terms of having all the tools to protect itself. Okay. From, you know, illnesses, viruses, injuries, you know, the rest of it. So then if you go and you get, let's say, uh, an ibuprofen off the, the shelf, then you inhibit the release of your natural anti-inflammatories. Oh. By, by, by allowing time and the body to heal and do the right things in terms of activity, movement, and exercise, then you stimulate the right... Um, medicines to be released by your own body, which is much more effective than what you get from the shelves. So so majority of that stuff, it just triggers what's supposed to be released already in your body. Yeah. How did I not know that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> How do I not know that? I always thought it was in the tablet. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's a natural part. Uh, that's a natural uh, substance that is getting manufactured in a tablet. And the idea is to give you a boost and to get you probably there quicker, potentially. Okay. Um, but I mean, the, the research is probably a little bit ambiguous about that. Okay. So what would you say, um, and what's the best way to get that naturally? Exercise or anything mentally? or uh, Both. I mean, obviously the mental well-being and the physical well-being, they go together. Yeah, uh, and that's another uh, aspect of uh, you know talking about exercise when you're injured because like obviously you yourself you train a lot. I see sports people, I see people that just kind of recreational training, and they get injured. And then one of the fears is that they can't train for a period of time, and that has an impact on them physically as well as mentally. Yeah. Uh, so you probably, I'm sure you, you you see a lot more people than I do with that. But they, you know, their exercise is part of a weight loss process. And so when you stop that exercise, although the weight loss can still happen through nutrition, um, it becomes that mental block that they fear that they're going to put on weight. And then it triggers a, a stress response into the body, which kind of inhibits the recovery of the injury. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. So then by uh, encouraging people to exercise, then you keep this process going. You know, they're still losing weight. They're still keeping up with the program. Yeah. Um, potentially modified a bit to protect the injured part for, yeah. for a period of time. But yeah, I'm, I'm very big in terms of getting people to, to continue exercise as much as possible. Do you think sometimes it's um, an excuse for people to stop? Uh, an excuse to... For example, uh, I'm injured, I came in and I cancelled my gym membership. It was almost like maybe when I was a kid, I was like, oh, this is maybe a good opportunity to chill out. Do you reckon people... 
they actually want to recover quickly? Or do you find that some personalities come in to see you and go, you know what, this is a great excuse to like not train for a while. Yeah. I I mean, that's, that's part of it. Um, I'd say that's a minority if I'm honest, but yeah. Um, and, and that happens in even at the elite sports level. Yeah, okay. You know, you get people that not necessarily want to be injured, but, uh, you know, they've got a natural talent, but they're not really prepared to put the hard work that's required to, to stay at that top level. Yeah. And then that injury is an excuse to say, I could have been, you know, so much better, but... Yeah. Yeah, so then obviously they don't put as much in, in the recovery. Yeah, I guess it's... Uh... <laughs> I mean, you know, you get the whole, you know, when people, the whole story of how he didn't make it as a footballer or whatever. Whereas yeah. before, it used to be like, yeah, I've got this injury, this injury. <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not good enough. <laughs> didn't work hard enough. Yeah. I wasn't good enough. And do you think you treat a lot of athletes, professional athletes? I do, yeah. You've, you've treated a lot of Premier League footballers. I have, yeah. Big names. Mm-hmm. Can you name a few? Um, I, I can, yeah. So I've worked with um, Dean Ashton at West Ham. So I used to work at West Ham. I was yeah. um, uh, one of the uh, the physios for a for a good ten years. So I worked from the academy level all the way up to the first team. Um, I, at uh, you know different roles in terms of part time, full time. Uh, probably James Tompkins, the first person I ever treated at West Ham. You're 16 years old. Oh wow! Okay. Um, he still looked as tall as he does now. But yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I've been I've been. Uh, so then throughout my journey then I've been, since I left West Ham, it's actually opened the doors to other clubs to refer their players to me yeah. on, on a kind of either consultancy basis or um, occasionally I have been into the club to do some short-term work, yeah. uh, but mainly they come to my clinics. Uh, and then it also opened doors for me for like other sports like tennis and rugby mainly at the moment. Yeah. And he, what are you finding? Because when I came into that, when I first came to, it was in Essex, wasn't it? Correct, yeah. Yeah, in Essex. When I came in and I saw all the names on the walls and mm-hmm. I was like, I'm pretty sure there was a Beckham shirt there as well. Like, I think maybe... Yeah, you, yeah there was, yeah, yeah. Maybe you treated or I think your colleague treated or something. I, I think the Beckham shirt, it was more of a, a gift. Oh, it was more of a, a gift, yeah. A patient, but probably most of the others were uh, people that yeah. attended the clinic, yeah. But Either with myself or my colleagues, yeah. There were so many, right? And what would you say, like, the difference between that you treated with athletes compared to say general population, which ones were more, I don't want to say full of excuses, but which ones more determined to like really get back on it? Or was it always like a personality thing? Um, I think it's more of a personality thing. Uh, is that There is some athletes that were extremely determined to get back as quick as they could. Um, there was others that they were like, okay, let's, let's take the injury take its course. And others that were like, Maybe, you know, working kind of 70, 80% to, to get back to, you know, to, to play. Um, and I think it goes across the general population. Yeah. Um, I think the difference is obviously when you're looking after an elite athlete and that's their job, um, the intensity or the frequency of how often you see them increases because that's their job and they want to get back as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, whereas, obviously, you know, if you have a full-time job and you know, family and, and the rest of it, then your recovery is probably not your biggest priority, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. You must have dealt with a lot of dickheads as well. I have done. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me to name any of them. No, I'm not going to ask you to name, but a lot of like top athletes as well. Yeah, yeah. Are they sometimes as, because like, I don't know, when I come and see you, I feel like very grateful in the sense, oh, this, help, this guy is fixing me. You know, I'll, I'll literally, I get into this mental state where I'm like, I'll pay. I will do anything. I'll cancel my whole day plans. I need to go see Nick. 
so I can sort this so I'm good mentally. Because when mm. I'm not, I'm just like, oh shit, I can't do anything. I can't train. I mentally don't feel stable. So it's, I feel like, thank you. I'm like grateful for it. Were you getting people that come in and were just like, I don't know, walking out without paying or something? Because footballers, are, they get everything for free, don't they? Like yeah. that sort of stuff. Did they expect the same of you at that point? Um, some of them, yeah. There's been a few that they... Um, refused to pay or like they came in out of their own back behind the club's back and then they asked me to go and chase the club for the money and you know oh, you no go and way. ask them I was like well we didn't tell them to come there so I don't know what you're asking us the money for so uh, <laughs> are we talking about Premier League talking about Premier League like yeah. on 20-30 yeah. grand a week yeah and, and more and really more. yeah that's mental isn't it um, there was one in particular I'm not going to name him but yeah. his, his uh, goal bonus was twice as much as he owed me and in one game, you scored three. Oh, really? That was shortly after we finished. Uh, and he was refusing to to to, to pay. He's like, well, I'd shout the principal of the club to pay. So, what? Yeah. That is crazy. And are you enjoying, are you enjoying coaching? Because majority of it was football initially, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was always time, yeah. Okay. So are you enjoying uh, other sports more than football? Because football, is it easier to treat or to coach people in football when it comes to, I don't know, like imbalances and stuff, say compared to something like tennis. Cause tennis, what I've realized mostly is like most tennis players are fucked. <laughs> yeah. Like, so are you enjoying those sort of challenges? Uh, yeah, massively. Yeah. I mean, the thing with the football, the football is, um, if you think about the body parts that's getting used in football is pretty much from the waist down. Yeah. So the upper body injuries, apart from your dad, I suppose, is, is very, is very rare. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, you know, you, you formulate a way of treating, you know, knees and hips and groins and uh, foot and ankle. Um, so going into other sports, let's say I've, I do a fair bit of work with rugby at the moment and you just don't really know where the injury is, you know, where the injury is coming from. Okay. You know, so you, you might have, a, let's say, a forward that goes into a scrum and you're thinking probably the shoulders are in danger because of the impact, but the the amount of force generated through the legs is huge. Okay. And so you don't really know where the which body part is is um, is going to injured and how one affects the other. So, you know, I saw somebody not so long ago with, um, he, he tore his media ligament, uh, a prop, um, and they assumed that his club, that his legs were weaker because he leg, his leg collapsed uh, into a scrum in, in practice, luckily. Uh, but then he had this shoulder injury that whether he didn't mention it properly, but he wasn't treated for it. Okay. Uh, but then... Obviously, when you go into a scrum situation, you need your shoulder to hold your other person and then engage into the contact. Yeah. And to protect his shoulder, he was adjusting his lower back, which put more pressure on his leg, and then his leg went. So I find that process a lot more challenging. Okay. Uh, and then it's obviously rehabbing people back to, you know, such a huge contact sport, yeah. uh, which, you know, it's I really enjoy it. Okay. Cool. And what I find, which is very, very useful, is like the communication between, let's say, the physios and the SNC teams of a rugby club is much, much better than the, the, the football. Football tend to be like, oh, you know, you're not part of our team. We don't want to do anything with you. Whereas they're very uh, cooperative and engaging. And, you know, and a lot of times it's just a, comp it's a joint uh, 
team effort. Is it? Do you reckon that's because from a cultural standpoint or because of the money? Because the football with money is ridiculous compared to rugby. I don't right? think it's the money. I think it's a cultural thing, but okay. maybe that, that's kind of going together with the money. I yeah, think there is it? more of an ego with footballers. I've noticed. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like compared to like the rugby players I've met and stuff, they've always been like. I don't know, just rock up to a normal pub with you. They'll, they won't be like, let's book a table. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead, we're like, you'd be like, Quite no. a few beers later, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like, it is kind of different. Do you find that the communication between, like with general population, what I've realized is, say, I don't know, say my dad or my mum. When I chat to my mum sometimes, she goes, oh, this hurts. And I'm like, I find it hard to get her to describe where, not only where the pain is coming from, but why it's, Mm-hmm. Coming, how important is that for a physio f- to like communicate well with like general population? Because I know a lot of people, a lot of clients I've had, they tell me I've got pain here, I've got pain here, but I don't think they describe themselves well to the physio that they go to, which means maybe the help is less. Would you say that's correct? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean communication is a huge element of uh, of what we provide, and um. Uh, like a, a colleague of mine, he's done a really good piece of research. He just published PhD on an Asian communication. Okay. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of elements to it. Uh, there is the how the physio is or the clinician, uh, you know, how we approach the patient or the client yeah. and how we speak to them and how we kind of get through the interview process. Okay. And, and that's that's really huge. Um, and what is like when I, when I first trained, I used to turn up to, to see somebody and I had a piece of paper with a body chart on it and some questions that I had to kind of tick. And, you know, when you have that, you tend to follow that path. Okay. Right? So you say, all right, where's your pain? This and this is your pain, this and this. And, but I think by doing that, you might be missing, you know, a big chunk of the story. Okay. So it's obviously uh, as experienced as get more experienced and as we develop our communication skills, I'm a lot more open. Yeah. You know, you probably noticed with your dad last week and yes. you know, I said to him like what happened. Yeah. And then he started telling me the story. Yes. And then obviously I kind of dip in and out to pick information that I feel I need. Yes. Okay? Uh, and and You've been doing that for years. I've been doing that for twenty yeah. odd years, yeah. yeah. Uh so it's uh, for, 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 again like for some like obviously your dad's injury which is like a torn bicep it's a very clear mechanism there's not really that much to it yeah but then you see somebody with let's say 10-15 years of of chronic back pain or low back pain or shoulder pain or neck pain or you see an athlete with like a knee problem that's been going on for years and years and you know it's been managed and uh, and then you I, I tend to let people just kind of talk to me Yes. And they go into places that you never really expect to. <laughs> and and then psychology and stress and, you know, all the other kind of environmental issues come into it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so communication is, is really important. And then it's, um, the other thing is like, you have to make the person trust you. And yeah. if they don't, you know, if you come in to say a story and the person doesn't listen to you, yeah. they're, they're busy filling in questionnaires and ticking boxes then you lose that trust. And when you lose that trust, they're thinking, well, let's get out of here because they're not listening to me again. Does that relate to it? <laughs> that, yeah, that, yeah, that's so exactly what I do. Go back to what you were saying before yeah. with your growing. You go in, or I've got this growing problem, or there's your sheet of paper with, with the exercises. Yeah. But did they listen to you? What happened? How did you do it? You know, 
that's one part. But then it's like, what are you looking to get to? You know, you want to, you know, I remember at that time you were looking to break into a potentially professional level of playing football. Yeah. You know, did they listen to that? Did yeah. they give you the tools towards that? Nah. They give you confidence, you know, nah. and that that's a big part of obviously what we do in terms of the the communication element. Yeah, I, does that make sense? Yeah, of course, because I, I do that with my coaching in the sense of I, I like listen. Yeah, and then I sometimes I'll say certain things when the time is right. Mm-hmm. I'll try and not over say something or say too less. I'll listen because if you're not if you're not listening, then yep. how how are you supposed to approach it in a way they will understand? Exactly. I yeah. guess, you know? Yeah, and there's different personalities, isn't it? So then some people you're going to be a lot more pushy with the questions, others yeah. you're going to back off a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and it's the same with training, isn't it? You're going to, you know, I know you, I'm sure you, you somebody, you want to push them into train harder, more times yeah. and more reps and others will be like, back off and let them yeah. do their own thing. So, yeah, I get what What is, what is chronic pain? Uh, chronic pain, by definition, is something that's been there for a long period of time. Okay. Uh, and it depends what you read. So you're looking for like three months onwards. Okay. Uh, so in, in our kind of world, it's kind of changing more to persistent pain rather than chronic. Okay. Um, so because it can be chronic as in, so it can be persistent as in you'd be there for like three months and you have a break and then it comes back for four months and you have a break for, for whatever reason. So it's just like a persistent pain. And it could be target in one area or it could just because I do get people messaging me going, I, I suffer with chronic pain for mm-hmm. example and I'm not saying I don't believe them yeah, but I feel like sometimes it's just thrown out there do you find that happens a lot? Um, yes um, but I think there's reasons for it okay can you um, give me an example? yeah yeah will yeah <clears throat> so for example you can have somebody that comes in with like um, I think back, back pain is probably the the most common uh, area. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at the physiotherapy referrals, that's the highest uh, body part that is hurting. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Um, and that's the one that people tend to have long-term problems with uh, more than, let's say, a knee or, or a shoulder. Yeah. Um, and so in in um, the pathology of, of back pain or, or in, in, in persistent back pain, um, what we know now, there is an awful lot of elements that contribute to it. So, uh, one of the myths is like that you have pain when you're damaged, which is extremely unlikely most of the time. Okay. okay. So most of the time you have pain without any physical damage into your structures. Okay. Um, so, so somebody might have, let's say an episode of back pain, lifting something heavy, you know, five years ago and they you know, like you are from your, your injury the other week at Zuzitu. Yeah. Um, and you thinking, all right, well, I lifted something heavy, I'll take a rest. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, have I done something? So you tend to start protecting the area and adjusting the way you move in order to protect it. Okay. Um, then, you know, you kind of go like that for like maybe a month. You know, you can have sometimes the pain comes back, you know, because you do something. And then you're thinking, I better go and see a doctor. So you go to your GP and they'll be like, all right, well, well I can't see anything there, but just take those painkillers, take some anti-flammatory for like a couple of weeks and come back if it doesn't go. And you go back and you're thinking, well, it hasn't gone. Um, okay, let's send you for a scan. And then you go for a scan. And then by all this time, yeah, you keep telling that person that there's something wrong with the back. Yes. Right? So then it becomes a mental issue. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so the, the pain is there. The pain is physical. Okay. 
but it's no more, it's no longer in the back, if, if that makes sense. It's more in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And then you change in the way you, you're using your body, the way you're moving, the way you exercise even. You know, some men, oh, no, no, I can't exercise. I can't bend. You know, I can't do this. I can't sit for too long. Uh, and all these normal things are actually helpful for the back. And, you know, through the process, you stop doing them. Yes. And then it becomes like no more about the back anymore. It's just like... The body's built to be active. Yeah. Yeah. And something like the spine. I mean, if you look at the structure of the spine, you've got small bones and discs in between. It's something designed to move. Okay. And we tell people to not. When they're injured. When they're injured. Stiff. Stay stiff. Don't bend. You know, sit this way. Straighten your back. Yeah. But all it does, it actually puts more pressure on the structures. Okay. So it becomes counterproductive. Why, why do you believe the most common injuries are back pain? Um, I think it's, it's, it's probably um, the part of our bodies that we fear the most because of, um, uh, I think culturally, this is a, a, a sensitive area. We believe it's a weak area. Yeah. Um, I think because it hurts more, and it probably hurts more because of the way we use our bodies. It's just where it is, it's in the middle of the body. So if you use your upper body, you use your back. If you use your lower body, you use your back. Yeah. So if you've got like a physical or semi-physical job, then the chances are you're going to put some strain on your muscles at some point, Yeah, which is quite normal. Um, so but I think we've got that fear about the back that is terrible. The fear is a, even like, like, I don't know, something will happen with my mum or she'll be, oh, my back, I'm like, it's like the most common thing that you hear. Yeah, My back this, my back that. Is it because it's such a, it plays a huge part in majority, like nearly all of your movement, I guess. Yeah. Or do you reckon it's like, how often do you get someone saying, I've got back pain and it's just some tightness? Uh, I, I mean, from what I see is that it's probably 80% of the time plus. Really? Yeah, 85 plus. Oh, no uh, way. And then that leads to other problems, doesn't it? That leads to other problems, yeah. Because then you've got, you know, the fear. You've got the inactivity. Yep. You've got, you know, maybe weight gain potentially. Um, do you know, like, I, I, the, so I'm not talking about structures, okay? Yeah. But the biggest predictor of back pain is depression. Really? Yeah. So there's no discs, there's no muscle, there's no bo- broken bones or ligaments or anything like that. It's depression. And is that, is that like a, is that, you've done research on that and you've seen all of that? Or? Uh, I haven't done the research, but there's plenty of other people that have done the research. It's, it's, okay. it's out there and it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, um, yeah. uh, I mean, for, for people that are interested in that, uh, there's a guy called Professor Peter Sullivan. Uh, he's at Curtin University in Perth in Australia. Yeah. And he's done, uh, you know, tons and tons of work. He, he's got an amazing team around him. Um, so I'll encourage people to go and, and look at his research. Um, and, and what do you know about it? In terms of, as in, how much have you looked? Have you after you've like say read about it and seen the research? Mm-hmm. What details can you give me about how you think that's created that? That's created as in you're saying it's 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 created by depression, right? Okay. And then have you seen that? Uh, yes. So what we see with uh, what we call the non-specific low back pain. So yeah. non-specific is classified as uh, pain that you don't see. A, a damaged structure on, on, let's say, a scan that relates to that pain. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So let's say if we say uh, you've got like a low back pain and then you have an MRI scan and you probably see something that's quite normal for somebody, let's say, my age. Yeah. Okay? So that's not that's not a structural damage that causes the pain. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then when we track the history of those people, so when I go and like, you know, I was saying earlier with the open questions, right, well, tell me your story, what happened? And you go back and when you've got this kind of big flare up or the episode or the pain starts, so it might be something physical, like let's say lifting a box. Um, but around that time, there's always, uh, or the majority of the time, there's a big psychological event. So it could be like a family bereavement, or it could be a divorce, or it could be moving house, or changing jobs, or having a dickhead boss, or, <laughs> you know, like all those kind of things that create psychological stress. Yeah. And a lot of times you build that stress, and, and some people express it physically. So then, you know, it creates tension on different body parts. Yes. And it's just how you hold your tension that creates the problem. I'm not going to lie. A lot of times... Does that I've, make sense? Yeah, a yeah. lot of sense. Because a lot of times where I've got, <clears throat> I guess, injured is... I've actually been sometimes thinking about things that have caused me stress that day. So I'm not as relaxed in training sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, say if it was sparring, sparring more aggressively than I would usually, for example, maybe. Mm. Or I've heard it with my clients where they've had a shit day and they just step off the curb and they twist their ankle. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. you're saying it just like that mental state just tightens you up. Tightens you up. Yeah. So if you think about like a, a card radio, okay. And you think the volume button. Yeah. So that's what stress does. It turns okay. the volume button up on your nervous system. Okay. okay. And then with stress, we're talking about stress related issues like anxiety, depression, fear, um, and lack or disturbed sleep. That's yes. one big that people miss. Yeah. Okay. Because they don't associate that with uh, with stress. Yeah. Okay. Wait, yeah. I'll give you an example. I had a, I was treating this guy a few years back, and she came to see me with sciatic uh, pain. <laughs> you uh, know, I've got a lot of questions about that. <laughs> yeah. We'll to fire go them into away. That. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll fire them away. So he had um, a, a sciatic pain. So he had back stiffness. He, he didn't have a, a disc or a, anything else that kind of block his nerve, but he had a lot of t issues around anyway. So he was in a state of, uh, you, you know, he's a, he's a lawyer, uh, working long hours, not exercising, ex-rugby player. He was about probably about four stone overweight, um, but it was more the lifestyle, you know, he was spending, he had his own corner in uh, a restaurant, he had his own table. He turned up for lunch every time with depending who he was meeting. Yeah. And they knew his meal, they knew his wine, you know, it was wow. it was a standard, you know, that lifestyle. So anyway, so we talked about this. So I hooked him up with a personal trainer at the gym. I was treating him. Yeah. You know, he lost quite a bit of weight and but in general he got healthier. Yes. You know, he controlled his food better, he wasn't drinking as much, he changed his hours. Um, and you know, sciatica went, so I didn't really see him for a while. I would see him in the gym around, but <clears throat> and then um, I got a message from him on on uh, uh, one evening about like eight nine o'clock, and he says, "Right, my sciatica has gone completely mad. I need to see you." And I was like, "All right." I had an appointment the following morning at seven a.m., and I was like, "You know, can you make that?" He says, "Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll be there." So he turns up looking like shit, and I was like, "You okay?" He says, "Oh, I just came back from New York." And I was like, all right, have you been on a holiday? He says, no, I just had this uh, crazy work uh, trip that took him, I might get the, the, the towns wrong, but yeah. I'll be fairly close. So he went from London to Dublin, from Dublin to Reykjavik, from Reykjavik to Barbados, to Boston, to Georgia, to New York in like six days. Jesus. 
Okay, so if you think about the time zones alone, Oof. Uh, never mind like sleeping on planes. Yeah, I know you're flying business class and all that, but it's still, it's still, you know, like the the adjustment from one to the other, and then. You know, he's a high profile the way he's doing. So obviously, he's the stress of his job was huge. Yeah. Um, so you tell me all that, and I'm thinking, you're like, I can't think it's going to be anything too physical with him. So then I assessed him, and he had, you know, he could touch his toes, he could bend backwards, he can squat, squat on one leg. There was nothing in his back to make his pain any worse. So I said to him, like, I think you should just go and get some sleep. <laughs> uh, he says, what, that? And I was like, yeah, it's just like, it's nothing. I, I can't find anything on your back. So that's, that's the important thing is the reassurance. Oh, right? that, so that's yes. gone off his mind, right, straight away. All right, yeah. my back is okay. Maybe my nervous system is, is amplified. So then yeah. he went to bed. I think he texted me the following day. He says, I feel a little better. So, you know, yeah. but then we don't really recognize that as a problem. Do we? Because it's not physical, isn't it? We're not lifting weights, we're not lifting boxes or working in a construction site. But it's so huge in terms of the physical uh, pressure. Yeah, 100%. I think Matthew Walker says, like, sleep is our superpower. Yeah. He says our superpower. And I talk about this a lot. Even every, every, like, kind of expert that I get in, like yourself, Mm -hmm. they always mention sleep. Yeah. They always mention rest, like, recovery. Yeah. And... I think people don't, I don't, and I, mean, I guess technology being on your phone 24 seven, it, it hinders, it makes such a yeah. impact on people. And what would you say to those people say that? Why should they prioritize sleep so much? If you were to give like two, three tips on that. Uh, well, I mean, because one is it comes down your nervous system. Okay. Okay. And that's the most important out of everything. Okay. Okay. Because that the, the nervous system is associated with with pain from why do, but you're also hugely associated with mental health, and yeah. they kind of go together. Yes. Uh, so obviously, if you sleep well, you fresh, you much more energy. You can yeah. exercise better. You know, you can be more active throughout the day. Okay. Uh, and there is there's actually an American lady. I, I can't remember her name, but I can I can find this and send it out to you. Yeah. Um, She's done some research on recovery. Yes. And she looked into things like, you know, cryo chambers and anti-inflammatories and nice treatment and heat treatment and massages and foam rollers. And she decided that the best recovery tool is sleep out of all of them. Yeah. Okay. So she encourages, especially athletes, because they have more time to go and get a 20-minute nap, half an hour nap throughout the day. Yeah. Because it helps with the recovery. Because isn't all of those things like, I don't know, even like getting in a float tank, meditating and all this stuff. Okay, I guess meditating is slightly different, but mm-hmm. all of that stuff, the main foundation of that is if you sleep really well, you probably don't have to do all the other things like, I don't know, going into a sauna, I just need to relax or <laughs> and this. And, and that. I think it's... Um, uh, I mean, I don't want to knock any of those things because they've got some values in, mm-hmm. in in terms of recovery. Of course. Uh, but I think what we see is just more that people develop a ritual yes. of, right, all well, I'm foam rolling, so therefore I'm doing something good for me. So then it reassures your brain that you're doing something good for your body, so it takes yeah. the element of stress out of it. Yes, um, Same with, you know, ice compression chambers and, and, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And how, um, that the thing you said about reassurance... Um, for me, that's a huge, like every time I've come to see you, someone yeah. that I trust, when you've gone, Dylan, just go spa, you'll be fine. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm going the next day. Yeah. And do you think that comes from your experience as a physio for say 20 plus years? Or do you think it's, it's something said that's not taught in physiotherapy as much? Like, I don't know, obviously, I know what it's like with PT world, but like, is that how much is taught to you when you're studying and stuff about the communication and the values about trust and stuff when you're treating people? Uh, I mean, when I did it, it wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. Um, it, th- there was uh, talks about communication, but it was more and more about being punctual rather than, you know, make sure you don't miss any um, like red flags and yellow flags and those kind of things. Okay. Rather than see the bigger picture. Okay. Uh, and whether it's been taught at universities now, I don't know. I've, I've been out of that circle for a while, so I don't, I don't okay. I'm not really sure. Um, <clears throat> but I know there's a lot of work done. As I say, Ian Carlos, one of my colleagues, he's he's done his PhD on uh, on communication and okay, uh, is um, it's extremely important. And I don't think if he's doing it now, I'm assuming he's not being taught at universities. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And how often are you like? Because when did you get qualified? Uh, Two thousand one. Okay, so you got that's a while back. <laughs> Two thousand. You got qualified at 2001. Is there like? Do you have to get updated on specific things? every say I don't know how many years to keep your qualification or something as a physio or after you're qualified you're a physio forever and you can practice and you can uh, treat people for however long yeah unfortunately that's the case so once you're qualified you're a physio forever oh really okay Um, there is uh, some mandatory courses you have to do okay uh, but they're more on Things like uh, data protection and lifting and handling and, yeah. you know, um, first aid. And so it's not really things that improve your skills yeah. or things that tell you that what you're doing is still valid and correct. Okay. Um, in in uh, a hospital setting, uh, while I was there, they, they used to be like in-house trainings every so often. So one of the physicians will pick up a topic and then just go and do some research on it and then go and present it to the colleagues. Okay, okay cool. Which is yeah. quite good. That's good, yeah. Um, uh, from my point of view, I always felt that wasn't enough. So that would, you know, um, then I start going to uh, external courses. Okay. Um, so back in like early 2000s, I probably used to do maybe one a month or every yeah. six weeks. I was doing loads. Um, yeah. I want some really, really good ones. I want some really, really shit ones. But I think you have to go to the shit ones to know the shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you course. don't do, make the same mistake. Um, so these days I still do them. Um, I probably do two or three a year rather okay, than cool. uh, every month. Uh, so you can obviously, through experience, you learn who's good out there and you kind of tend to follow them. And do you, do you learn more about, do you learn more by practicing what you do or through those seminars? Both. Okay. So you, you learn something in a seminar and then you go and practice it. Okay. And then you see if it's working. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I think through experience, you, it's just like having a toolbox, isn't it? You throw more tools in it. Yeah. And then there'll be the one person that you might need in like 10 yeah. months later. I did that with you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when I came to you, when I was a lot younger, even now, could you notice? Like, I mean, every time I come see you, it's probably like a podcast. I'm asking a million <laughs> questions because then it, it helps me to understand, say, my clients more or why certain things happen. Yeah. Or even like when I did my groin really bad, I mean, after that, my legs were so strong Yeah. after I paid so much attention to it yep. and I understood like kind of what to do. And I was yeah. applying it with a lot of my clients before they even, even would get an issue. 
yeah. with their groin. Yeah. So I'm assuming it's like the same sort of balance of learning and applying. Learning yeah, absolutely. Applying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you get that through experience, you know. And yeah. you, you know, I'm sure I made people worse. Yeah, of course. Um, because that's that's the nature of the beast, you know. You, yeah. you obviously not consciously. I tried to yeah. make them better, but you know, you you kind of pick up the things that work for certain people and not for others, and you just apply them accordingly. Yeah. And what? Um, okay, so within your industry of not just physiotherapy, but like, I, don't, I think you've got like physical therapists and you have chiropractors. Like what is the system? Because I know there's a lot of people that don't understand. Because <clears throat> I get a lot of people that see other people thinking they're physios. Mm -hmm. You're top of the food chain, are you? So like, as a physio in that practice. Yeah. So to, to, to be named a physio, you, you have to register with, Two organizations, the Health Professional Council yeah. and uh, your Chartered Society of Physiotherapy. Okay. Okay. And to do that, so to be a CSP physio, Chartered Society of Physiotherapy, uh, you need to obviously finish a university degree in physiotherapy. And how long is that? Uh, so it's three years uh, in a standard university. Some others are doing it in four, depends on yeah. what you do in between, displacements and all that. Yeah. Um, so there is sort of lots of other professions. Um, that do similar things, if that makes it like an osteopath or a chiropractor uh, or s sports therapists or... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I don't know the huge differences between them. Could you tell me, like, a sports therapist, what, what is that? Um, so How is that different to a PT? I know, it's going to sound not disrespectful, but like, I well, just don't know. I think, uh, and I might be completely wrong there because I don't see, without, I don't want to be critical of it because I haven't looked at what they do are the syllabus, what they do at university. So okay, yeah. I can't tell you what they qualify as. Yeah. But my understanding is they're not as qualified as us to assess and diagnose things. Okay. And what okay. sort of scale are we talking? Are we talking like... I'd say it's probably an intermediate between a PT and a physio. So obviously you understand the body, you know how to yeah. train it. They'd probably be able to assess and diagnose more, but not as much as we do uh, that'd be my yeah because for me I really find it hard and this is no disrespect to anyone because I know there's going to be some of you guys that are listening to this I'm like if I'm looking if I'm injured I'm not looking at any of those I'm thinking physio straight away mm -hmm. but I notice a lot of people go to these other people mm -hmm. which is again not a problem but if you're injured, who should you go to? <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, the, there is those people, they, they're in a profession because they must be doing something right at some point, right? Okay, yeah. So, you know, the, and that's, I think that's the person's, so most times, you like you came to me through a recommendation, right? Yeah. So if, let's say, you, you were talking to somebody else and they had a really good experience with a chiropractor, they said, oh, go and see this guy. Yeah. Because he helped him. It might not be relevant to your problem, but they do it in good faith. Yes. Yeah. So obviously you're going to go to a different path. And if that's successful for you, yeah. then you're going to spread the word to somebody else. Yeah, okay, that's true. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so the approach of what we do is different. We train different. Uh, we shouldn't really because the body is the body. You know, the body yeah. moves the same way. Whether yeah, you're yeah. a doctor, a physio, a chiropractor, your, your body's moving the same way. Yeah. And if you understand the, the anatomy, the physiology, and the biomechanics of the body, you should treat it the same way. Yeah. There yeah. shouldn't be, you know, different approaches uh, yeah. in, in, in my mind anyway. Okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so. And what, what is, um, okay, so chiropractors, 
are the, are the ones that click your body up, right? Yep. <laughs> okay. Um, what does that do? Again, no disrespect to any kind, but what does that, what do they do? Um, Honestly, in the sense of, I know you go in there and I know people go in there and you feel instant gratification mm -hmm. when you like click this, click that. Like, yeah. I know because even when I click my fingers, yeah. <laughs> like you just feel a sense of release or when someone clicks my back, I'm like, oh yeah, that mm -hmm. feels loose, but then it tightens up again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of what they do is they manipulate joints. Okay. Okay. Now, um, in terms of what they say they do, that's where it becomes a problem. Because um, if when you said somebody or your back is out of line and I'm going to click it back in. Okay. Okay. So first of all, that doesn't happen. Okay. Okay. So you need quality force to get the back out of line and you can't just click it back in. Are we what sort of force are we talking like? We're talking like car crash. Okay. Right? Huge force. Okay. okay, so when someone goes, oh, I'm going to realign you. Well, you don't really realign the bones. The bones are the bones. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah. But this is what people hear. So for me, it's like, I need to hear it from an expert. Okay, you know? so yeah. you're creating a noise, which is cavitation, which is pretty much that. Okay, really? Okay. So it's just air bubbles popping. Okay. okay. And that's research proven. So there's people that have done studies on dynamic MRIs and they see the air bubbles within the joint and they, as the, the wind up the joint to manipulate it, it just kind of moves to the corner and then just disappears at the popping. Oh, so that time. noise is just that? The noise is just that. So there's no bones going back in or going out. And is that damaging? Like me clicking my no, fingers? No, potential. No, there isn't really any evidence to say that. We used to think that if you click your fingers a lot, it goes arthritis, but there isn't really uh, anything, anything Thank into that. God for that. I can't wait to tell my mom that. Because every time I do this, she's like, Darren, what are you doing? Yeah, so that's the... The, you know, belief system okay, of, of cool. an older generation. Yeah. So you can't, uh, you can't actually put bones back into place, or, or the, the bones are the bones, like you said. And then, have you have you ever dislocated anything? Have you dislocated your shoulder or anything like that? When I was a kid, I dislocated my shoulder. Apparently, my mum was holding. I was holding my mum's hand. She was trying to. I was yeah. trying to run away from her. Yeah. And I pulled so far. And apparently, my shoulder, like my arm, the ball and socket popped out, and then yeah. they popped it back. So it's in. quite a bit of force, isn't it? And then, yeah. You know, so it's, the bones, they don't really just pop in and out like that. Okay, yeah. Okay, especially something like the spine, because if you look at the structure of the spine, it's, it's designed to be, you know, the bones do not move from each other. They stay in alignment. Okay. Okay. Now, if you were to, um, let's say, take somebody without pain, let's say somebody who's very, let's say, right-hand dominant. Okay. Okay. And you have them standing. I mean, you probably see that if you assess people when you you know, when you first Coaching. see them. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And then you're going to see that they're probably going to stand towards the strongest leg, mm -hmm. okay? Or the right side of the back, they're going to be more developed or they have a slightly bigger right calf or right bicep, okay? Because that's hand dominant. Okay, yeah. Okay? Now, if you were to take an x-ray of that person, would that spine look straight or it's going to look more to one side? It would look, yeah. It would I look get, more to yeah, one side, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you just do that without understanding how the body works and all the rest of it. If you just see the x-ray, you're thinking, this is out of line. Okay. Right? Yeah. But I haven't seen anybody re-x-raying after they put them back in to say, oh, look, the difference. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Okay, so it yeah. just becomes a diagnostic tool, okay. the x-ray that looks... And, and to be honest, if we take anybody, I can't, I can't think many people that you could find nothing wrong with them. Okay. In nothing wrong as in from an anatomy book. 
Because there's always going to be imbalances. There's right? always going to be some imbalance, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's impossible not to. When, those, when are those imbalances dangerous? Well, the imbalances are dangerous when they start to create symptoms. Okay. Okay. And then you have to match that imbalance with the symptom. What do you mean? So, you, you know, like we were talking about the rugby player earlier with the shoulder. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you had an imbalance because he was underusing his uh, shoulder. Okay. And yeah. he developed more um, strength or more bulk in one side of his lower back, yeah. which put the other one into more vulnerable position. Okay. Okay. So, uh, from, from, a, from, a, from a physio point of view, somebody will come to me with pain. Yeah. Okay. So then I assess them and then I see, well, like, you've got pain in your back when you're bending or whatever. Then you're looking up what the muscles are doing around it. Okay, and you're looking how the body's moving, how the legs are moving, and then you match in that picture with the symptoms. Okay. Okay, and then you see if that imbalance is relevant. Okay, Does yeah, that make sense? yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, for example, I had somebody, uh, he came to see me the other day, and he says he didn't have actually any pain at all. Yeah. But he was a seven, 17, 17-year-old boy. He's yeah. finishing his A-levels. Uh, but he came in sitting like that. Yeah. Very slouch, round shoulders. And his mum was worried that he's going to develop shoulder pain. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, stand up. It's like, can you lift your arm up? So then his shoulders, his shoulder blades went back to a normal place before he lifted his arm up. So to me, that's not an imbalance. That's just like poor sitting posture. Okay. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah? yes. So but if you just take that posture into an x-ray, you're thinking he's fucked. Yes. Right? So it's just putting everything into context. Yeah. But then he has to... Say for someone like him, he has to like be a bit more conscious of being yeah. in an upright position to, yeah. I guess, not build that habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which can then potentially have an injury later on with an activity or something. Potentially, yeah. Something as simple as like I don't know the people, and I've had this before. Like on my phone so much, and my neck is like yeah. not where it's supposed to be. That's it. My neck being forward, my shoulder over forward. Yeah. Then doing jets, 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 and then I've got something wrong with my shoulder when really I come and see you and you're like, yeah, just bring your shoulder back. Yeah. And then move, I guess, move how I should be moving. Yeah. And do you think, so a lot of the times when people are getting injured, do you reckon a lot, a lot of the things are down to not knowing how to move? Um. Because you see some people, even like you get some people to run and they don't even know how to run. Hmm. I think, um, yeah, yes and no. I think running is is quite complicated movement for our brain to process while we're doing it. Okay, yeah. Okay, so it's quite difficult to adjust. So the, so the, the way the brain works <clears throat> and the way the body works, um, so the brain is picking up pictures yeah. okay, and movement patterns. It's not picking up individual muscles. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to open the door, you're not going to say, deltoid, lift my shoulder up, bicep, <laughs> do this, right? So the hand is going towards the door. So it's yes. a coordinated movement of a complex muscle system. Yeah. Right? So okay. they're all going to work in coordination. Yeah. So so the, the brain is thinking, right, I need to do the task. So I need to run. So you're asking the boy to run. So he's going to run. Yeah. Okay. What's going to try to pick up is what's the most efficient way to run with what I've got. Correct. So yeah. if let's say your, you know, your right glute is imbalanced compared to your left. Yes. You still can run. Yeah. Yeah. 
but it's not going to be as efficient. So it's going to find something to compensate for that. For that. For that weakness or imbalance. Okay. okay? Yeah. And if you were to run to catch the bus, it's not a problem. Yeah. But if you're doing three, five caves a week, over a period of time, it will become a problem. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. It makes sense. Yes. I don't know, so, like having... So, you know, somebody that might not know how to run is because either they haven't done it, so they haven't got that skill. brain experience, the skill, yeah. or they haven't got the tools to do it. Okay. Okay. So then obviously that's where you come in yes. to break down that. That's what we're talking about, functional training. So yeah. functional training is not doing squats all day long. Yeah. That's part of the function, but yeah. it's breaking down the end activity and put it all together again. Yeah. It's like a Lego system, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And but Which is why it's so important for people to understand how to move properly, right? Before, yeah. I guess, they hit high intensity with training. Because you, I mean, I'm sure you get loads of athletes coming in, I don't know, like lifting bodybuilding athletes or whatever that can probably squat, I don't know, 150 kilos or whatnot, but they're probably stiff and everything else and probably get stupid injuries. Mm. Like what, what to you is functional training, for example? What is fun? Like I see it as everything's functional. Everything that I do is functional. What to you is functional training? Uh, I mean, functional training is you're, you're working backwards from the end product. So what are you training for? Okay. Okay. Right. So are you training to lose weight, okay. drop calories, or are you training to do a sport, Perform, or are you yeah. training to look a certain way? Yeah. You know, like bodybuilding, whether it's conditioning, whether it's, you know, whatever. Um, so, for example, for a runner, yeah, functional training is the tools that are going to help them to run better. Okay. More efficiently, quicker, injury-free. Okay. So that's that's how I approach it. That's how you would... Okay, I get you what okay. you mean. So, now, it's slightly different from uh, between myself and you when it comes to training because, obviously, people come to me with pain. Yes. And they say, I can't do this. Yeah. So, then that path is a lot easier because I'm thinking, all right, to do this... You need so, for to. example, to, you, you know, to run, let's use a, 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 a knee injury, for example. Somebody comes with an injury, can run. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, normally, the question is, when can I run? And my answer is when you can jump repetitively on one leg. Okay? Because if you can't do that, you can't really run, can you? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. So then what tools do you need to jump on one leg? Yeah. Right? So you did the, that and, with me as well, yeah. And, you, yeah. and you kind of work backwards. To me, that's functional training. Okay. So if somebody's a, a weightlifter and they want to do power snatch, you know, whatever, whatever kilos, then my approach will be different. Okay, I get what you mean. Okay, so then some of the elements will be the same and there's nothing wrong to divert from that training for variety as long as there's some kind of correlation to it. Okay. But that's that's functional training. How many times have you, people have come to you and got injured from running? Oh, loads. Because I've, I've, I have this loads. debate where I ask people, I'm like, people are like, I want to run a marathon. I'm like, why? Usually it's, they don't, they don't like to admit that it's, I know it's for fat loss a lot of the time. They want to lose weight because that's the first thing they think about. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you're really overweight and you just start running, that's a lot of stress on your body, right? Yeah. Like it's a lot of, how much impact are we talking? Like how damaging is it for an overweight person to like do a lot of running, for example? Um, in, in, in one word, it's not. Okay, cool. Okay. So it's all about the conditioning. So is your muscles prepared or strong enough 
or conditioned enough to carry that weight for the distance you're asking it to do. Okay. Okay. So yeah. that's that's where the question is. Is it robust enough to Is it robust enough? Yeah. You know, and if you haven't run before, if you know an experienced runner, then are you taking enough time to condition yourself to run a marathon? And what about bones? Uh the bones they tend to get stronger with okay. the loads. Yeah. Okay. So do the muscles. Like, you know, that's that's what we do. You know, when we do resistance training. You, you increase the load into it and then they get stronger. You create stress and it grows yeah. from So there's, yeah. there's some research into, uh, they did in Australia, um, between I think they were like 18-year-olds, swimmers and runners uh, at like, you know, high level. And they found that the bone density of the runner's leg was much higher than the swimmer's, which makes sense because the exercise is weight-bearing. So they had bigger, stronger bones. So could, Not necessarily healthier, but bigger, stronger bones. Does this mean me being... A chubby kid or a chubby teenager at the time has benefited me now because I've got maybe more <laughs> bone density from running. You from probably it. have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that, but I didn't actually know mm-hmm. if that could be a thing because I always knew like that more weight bearing stuff. If you're, because you get, for example, like you see like the Samoan rugby players, mm-hmm. the island. ridiculous, aren't they? It's just, ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, you animal, how do you move like that? Yeah. And he's been moving like that since he was a kid because he's yeah. always been thick, mm-hmm. right? And you look at him and then you look at someone else and you're like, he's so much bigger. He's definitely way more dense. If he hits you and he's, and you see him running a lot faster than some guys that are way lighter than them because mm-hmm. they've obviously been conditioned and their body is yeah. now robust enough to take that, yeah. say, impact. So would that person... For example, do you reckon become a better athlete if they were to lose weight? Because I've always, and maybe I'm wrong with this, a lot of the time when my clients have gone, Darren, how do I get fitter for running? Like the ones that are overweight. And I'm like, probably the quickest way for your fitness to go up, your cardio is dropping a few kilos when there will be less stress when you're running. Is that wrong or is that right? Uh, it's, it's not wrong. Okay. But it's not 100% right either. Okay, cool. Okay, because I think... Uh, so if the weight loss is combined with a conditioning program, yeah, then that's spot on. Mm. Okay? okay, but generally, if you know the people that want to get fit and they do the right conditioning accompanied with you know good lifestyle and foods, then yeah. they'll get there anyway. Okay, okay. Yeah. But dropping a massive amount of weight without your muscles get conditioned at the same time is probably not going to do that much. Is which is why it's important to mix, I say, resistance training with safe running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. then you get a lot of people that just do running. Boom. Yep. And it's quite interesting because you see, um, um, it's coming up to marathon season now, <laughs> and I see a lot of marathon runners. Yeah. Um, and some of them are really fit, really well-conditioned and, good, you know, good body, good physiques, and they get injured. And then when you track the story, because obviously marathon training is very time-consuming. So you might have somebody who's like, say, an office worker, and they go to the gym three, four times a week and they do some cardio and they do some weights and they do, you know, whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. And then um, to train for the marathon, they go and run. So then they stop all the conditioning work. Okay, yeah. So what happens then, the body becomes imbalanced. Okay. So then knees start to hurt or calves or shins or, or whatever. And then they say, well, you know, I've been running all this time. And I was like, yeah, but you stop doing the bits that help you running better. Okay. Which is your, your, you know, your squatting, your lunging, your, your spin classes, for example, you know, things that condition your legs without, uh, you know, 
doing too much with it. And then obviously when you go into running, you stop all that, your body's not conditioned to carry on doing that. Does that so, make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. So that's why I was actually going to ask you that as well. Like say like the energy systems that you're working when you say doing like 10 reps with this much load or whatever, mm. and then running on top of that, how, how beneficial is that resistance training? And how, how would say, how, how should I split it? Say with my client where I'm like, Hey, doing, I want to start running. Would it be like, okay, let's ease off with like two days of running with a three day weight split or two day weights training? Like how is that beneficial and how would you balance it out to something um, that's a beginner? I mean, that's quite individual, I think. And, and, okay. and uh, genetics play a big part in it. Previous experience plays a big part in it. Um, athletic build conditioning, you know, plays a big part in it. Uh, but if you, if you were to take like a, a complete novice runner, somebody who hasn't run a lot for 10, 15 years, they don't do much exercise, they won't do the marathon, I'll probably aim to do a three and three split. Okay. Three, you know, three runs, three resistance training. Uh, and then, then it's a bit of a trial and error because if that doesn't work, then you might have to alter it. Yeah, because then it also depends on their mental state as well, right? Yeah. If it's yeah. too much, if it's too little yeah. or whatnot. Uh, and... Um, uh, so the other thing is like then obviously with the running, I'd, you know, then again, I kind of tend to work backwards. Okay. Even if it's somebody says, oh, I just want to finish it. And I'll say, well, just give me a time. Think of a time that you've got in mind. And then you work backwards from that. So then you adjust the running training towards the end goal. Yeah. So if somebody wants to do it in like six hours, then you're running is your running sessions are going to be different somebody wants to do let's say four four and a half yeah okay okay and and i always think that you work on the speed that you work on your endurance and as well as your your distance okay 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 so for example if somebody says i want to do a marathon in like four hours and then the 400 meters is like two and a half minutes it's just not. It's just not happening. Okay. <laughs> so you you have to bring it down to work on the four hundred, two hundred, and hundred meter sprints or yeah. speed, because that translates into the longer distance. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you were when I had my groin injury, the stuff that you were telling me to do, and then the stuff I was doing with you, that you were training me. Yeah. You were getting me to do like the conditioning after we built some strength yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. And then you were getting me to do like agility stuff say with a band around my waist mm -hmm. and then telling me to do the conditioning outside like building the conditioning building my legs up yeah and then overloading with you yeah with like agility stuff that's testing my groin more and yep. stuff so that's it's it. just like a slow build right yeah it's just it's just a, it's just a structured program rather than a slow build and you know some people will be slower than others some people will be faster than others but i think doing it that way so working forwards from the conditioning backwards from the 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 sport point of view, I think you're not missing any, you're not cutting any corners. Okay, you cover yeah. every basis. Yeah, and because really, I, I'm not in. So my my thinking as a physio is not like, all right, you have fixed your shoulder. What are you gonna come back with? Mm. I want you out and not come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I want to make sure that we don't we put all the systems together so you go out and enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, of so course. I don't really want repeat work for the same problem. I, I, I question myself if I do that. That's one thing I like, I respect you so much for. I remember the first time I, I was like, because every other physio I went to initially, like before that, I was like, so how often do I need to come see you? They'll be like, yeah, I'll come in every week. You're like, no, no, go off, do this. 
message me if yeah. if it doesn't work. Yeah. The, the, when I had the like the way bigger injury, then you were like, come every whatever, so we can yeah, check I mean, and do this. It's because, different. Yeah. But then a lot of the times you're like, no, go work on it, and then mm-hmm. let me know, which is not, not what a lot of people do. And with huh. with is that because you're too busy, or is that because you just no, no, it's not because I'm too busy. I mean, it's like obviously you have to look after your clients individually, right? Yeah. So you understand training, you know training, you know how I work, mm-hmm. and I know how you work. Yeah. So if I say to you, go and do this and this and this, I know you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. you're going to do it in a certain quality. Yes. Okay. And I think, again, over the years, I think you judge the person that's going to do what you tell them. Yeah. You know? Uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, there is some people that I see every week because that's the, like, you know, like an ACL injury, for example, or a surgery. Yeah. They need to be seen frequently because you progress when they're ready. Yeah. And you can't just say, well, do this for one week and then do this the next week and then that because I don't know if the quality of what they're going to do is going to be good enough yeah. to enhance the recovery. So, uh, But generally, if if things are like imbalance or require some, either a gym exercise or home exercise, as long as I'm satisfied they do the exercise correctly, I give them the, you know, the, the free to go. Yeah, I get you. Because uh, going back to what we said about chronic pain before, like, you know, when you're managing pain, um, what you don't want to do is to people to depend on you. You want, you know, it's just a management thing that you can do yourself. Yeah. And if you do yourself, that's that's where I want you to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. you have the tools to do it. Of course, yeah. Because it's not just like treatment as in hands-on or manipulation or whatever. It's taking the tools to stop this problem returning. And generally, it's a lifestyle thing where yeah. this involves exercise, nutrition, sleep, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And with, with injuries, say, for example, um, I've come to you with an injury. You've given me rehab exercises to do. I've done it for a bit. I haven't done it to an extent where it's actually strong enough, say, like an ankle injury or something. Mm-hmm. And time the time has helped recovery, but not necessarily built strength to mm-hmm. what it was or what it should be. Yeah. What percentage of the injury that you had will happen again if you don't do the right here rehab? Is there like a specific percentage? Has there been research uh, on it or is it? Um, I, I'm not aware of a specific percentage, but I can talk to you from my experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, as uh, So before before I became a physio, I was a basketball player back yeah. in Greece. Um, and an ankle sprain was, I've done over 30 on each leg. <laughs> and uh, so I think through, I've been mean, my own kind of personality, I suppose, but lack of advice and probably at the time yeah yeah and you know going back to um, early mid 90s so it's like different times yeah um i don't think i missed more than one or two games out of all i was playing with strapping on top of strapping on top of strapping (sighs) uh so because of my desire to play Yes. Right. So, because you know, you, you know, I'm sure you played sport and you feel insecure that you're going to lose your spot, or you position in the you team. Know, you know, you the team's going to lose and it's your fault, and it's all those things that go with a with a with a professional sportsman. Um, and what that left me is with a residual weakness because my ligaments are completely damaged. So there's no, you know, there's no, they don't come back. Oh, really? Um, and you know, provided them. Um, exercising regularly, I can function to a pretty good level. Um, there is the odd time that me walking down the pavement, there's a little slab and my, my, my ankle will go over. 
Really? There's, there's not much I can do about it. So, but if I go back to the 17-year-old Nick, and if the physio, again, I was told to have two weeks rest, we used to call our physio two weeks rest, man. Because <laughs> with every, everything you went in, it was like, well, I have two weeks off. That's so funny because we had one when I was playing in Turkey and it was the paracetamol guy. Yeah. They give you a paracetamol. Take these two tablets, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. two weeks. That's what you say, two weeks. Um, so if I've gone back and I've done what I tell my people to do, I probably wouldn't have had it again. Or if I did, it would have been not to the same extent. I'm lucky I met you at 17 then. <laughs> So, yeah. And with, say you said with like the ligaments, mm -hmm. what after a while you just can't, they can't rebuild or if it's like. So no, the ligaments that don't tend to rebuild. Okay. <clears throat> so it depends really on the, 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 the extent of the injury. Yeah. Uh, so if you think of the ligaments, the ligaments an elastic band that hold the bones together. Okay. Okay. So if it snaps completely, the fibers go apart. Okay. Right? So they can't. Rebuild. Rebuild. If they find something else to attach on it, then they will. Okay. So while they're still alive, there's a period of time that they can reattach and they could be the bone, it could be a muscle, it could be a tendon. Uh, and if there's a bridge to bring them together, over time, there will be some closing. Yeah. Similar uh, to like the bicep being partially torn? Yeah. So, so the, yeah. 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 Okay. So the, the muscles, they tend to, um, because of the size of them, in the vast majority, there is something to reattach and over time, they close. Yeah. Um, so the ligaments, because of where they are, and they're not really attached on muscles, they tend to either go. When okay. they go, they go. Okay. okay. That makes sense. So then depends on what part of your body and what support there is around it to see if you can function. Okay. Okay? At, at what level you can function. And then genetics play a big part in it. Okay. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you next. How big does genetics play in all of this? It's, it's big. It's, it's, a, it's a big, big part. Oh, very big. Very big, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I couldn't really tell you with every individual injury yeah. how much genetics is in it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, for example, you see you see athletes and they do an ACL and they do another ACL and they do, a, 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 you know, a, a tendon on, on something else. And then you're thinking, are they taking steroids or this is something genetically? Mm -hmm. And if you're looking at the elite level, probably unlikely to be on performance-enhancing drugs because of the monitoring. And let's say for a footballer, the problem of getting much gain out of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so then you're thinking, must be something genetically. Okay? Yeah. So hormonally, we know that like high estrogen levels are associated with ACL tears. Really? Yeah. I can't wait to tell my mate that. <laughs> Ali, <laughs> so he's, he's you, had like three knee reconstruct, like he's had right. three or four operations on his legs. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, there, there, is, there is a huge um, genetic link. Okay. Yeah. And the ones that recover quicker, what more high test or like high testosterone levels, or is it like um, it just depends? In the sense of, you said there's been research on high estrogen with ACL tears, mm -hmm. and so you see like females during the cycle, you know, yes. there's part of the cycle that they're more prone to soft tissue ligament injuries. Yes, okay, at a certain time, mm -hmm. which is why they need to take it easy. Yeah. In the cycle and recognize they need to be their own best scientists when it comes to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Because they always, I have this, I have this chat a lot with my clients. I'm like, you need to take it easy. Mm -hmm. You're emotional. Your motor skills are not on point because you're not as strong either, are you? At that, at that, at that point in no. the cycle, you're not as strong either. All of those things just add up to potential injuries. Yeah. They and do. How, yeah. And how many people have you treated that have come to you for that reason? Uh, because of that reason. Yeah. Yeah, a fair Loads. amount. A fair amount. Loads. Loads. 
Um, problem is, again, obviously, when they come to me, is not that relevant anymore because things already happened. Yes. Um, but then going forwards, um, for example, I had this uh, female young boxer not so long ago, and uh, to me that was um, like a, a part of the cycle, like the menstrual cycle that I exposed her to the injury. Yeah. And then we talked about it. And then the other problem is, so she understood it, her mum and the dad, very supportive over it, and obviously, you know, they were they're actually delighted because there was, you know, a reason for it. Yeah. But then the coach wasn't having it. Oh. And he's like, well, I've trained so many people, no, nobody ever had a problem before. And I was oh like, well, it doesn't matter, she does, you know? So then you have to look after her. And like, if she's during that period, you have to adjust to what, I never said don't train her, because that's yeah. not, as I said at the very beginning, no training is not an option for me. But you have to adjust what you're doing. You can still benefit a boxing training by not doing heavy sparring or, you know, whatever. I've, um, a lot of PTs have this problem as well. They go in, say Susan goes and does her back squat. Her back squat is, I don't know, 30, 40% weaker than it is usual. Mm -hmm. He's there screaming in her ear going, go, go, push, 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 push. When he doesn't yeah. know that, just put on a leg press, mate. Mm -hmm. Or... If yeah, you yeah. are doing a squat, just take it easy. Yeah. And then it creates an injury and then it creates stress for that person and whatnot. It's crazy to think even now, like you're getting a boxing coach that's yeah. Like still there is doing um, I think that another part of the problem is that there is that, I don't want to say stigma because it's not, but I think females are kind of feel a bit, they don't really want to say that's the period. Do you know? Like, yes, yeah, yeah, I get what um, you mean. And then they're like, oh, no, I better not tell them that. There is a embarrassment to it, which obviously shouldn't be there because it's for their own good. I think that, and if they're really competitive, they might not want it to stop their, yeah. almost in like denial. Maybe just like, no, nah, nah, I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to block this out. I'm going to mm -hmm. train harder this week or whatnot. You yeah. Know? There was a really good program actually a while back uh, on Sky with uh, Judy Murray. Oh, yeah. She was talking about women in sports. She interviewed, um, it was, she was excellent actually, interviewed a bunch of female elite sportsmen like Victoria Pendleton and Natasha Jonas yeah. and uh, Kelly Holmes oh, yeah, same, and a yeah. few others. Um, uh, but that was something that came up a lot. And especially the older ones, were like you, you wouldn't go in there telling your coach that you can't train as hard because they're oh. going to ruin you. You know, but then... You're thinking, well, that's completely normal biology. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't it. do anything about it. You that, have to yeah. respect it and, and, you know, approach it the right way and control it. And it's for the benefit of your athlete, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, not, I can't imagine what it's like somewhere like Turkey, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine <laughs> I it. I think it would be like, from a cultural standpoint, a lot of women wouldn't even talk to men about that in Turkey, yeah. let alone their coach. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not everyone, but it depends, I guess, on their relationship. Mm -hmm. But then, like, a lot of those sports wouldn't even look into that because even if you look at like S&C and just uh, uh, physios in some of those other countries that maybe that are more behind, yeah. it's so behind that it's probably slowing their performance down with majority of the sports that the country yeah. is doing, right? That's right, yeah. Uh, but slowing down the sport is one thing, exposing them to injuries is another one, isn't it? Yeah, which then slows it even more. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for so high It's like the welfare, obviously, the, the person. That's yeah, the most exactly. important part. Exactly, exactly. All right, I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of questions here. I'm going to pick just some 
Because I told like my audience, I was like, oh, I've got my physio on. He's an absolute legend. <laughs> um, and there's, okay. Getting a few here. All right, question. There's there's one question about like stretching and stuff, but I'm going to tie it into something that I think will benefit a lot of people as well as the person that asked. Stretching. Mm-hmm. Dynamic or old school stiffness static? Well, you know the answer because we've gone through a few times, but it's definitely <laughs> dynamic. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so stretching, I, I don't quite like the word of it. Um, I like more like mobility. Okay. Um, and it goes, is is preparing your body for an activity. Yeah. Okay. So if the activity is walking to the train station, then generally you start to be slower and then you pick up if you have to, <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. that's your that's your mobility work. Okay. Okay. So you don't need to stretch your shoulders and your neck to walk to the train station. Yeah. Right. But then obviously if you go to the gym and you're looking to go on the leg press, there's no much point doing shoulder mobility because no. you're just going to be sitting there and you yeah. train your legs, right? So <clears throat> there is, um, uh, so static stretching is of very little benefit to the body. Okay. Okay. Uh, it does very, very little. It gives you, uh, so I'll give you an example. I was on a, on a stretching course. Uh, it's called PNF, Progressive yeah. Neuromass Facilitation. And um, we've got the straight leg race test to test uh, the length of the hamstring. Yeah. Um, so in the PNF, so the person's holding your leg up and then you're pushing against it and then you've got a, um, a, a short period of release and then you can you can push it further. Yeah. So I was the model. So I went from about 80 degrees to about 110, 120 through yeah. the PNF. So I gained all this mobility. So I stood up, I did five squat thrusts, went back on it and it was back to the very beginning. <laughs> right? So the static stretching, the benefit is not lasting. It's not lasting. Okay. Then going back to the functional element of it. Okay. So you train your body the way you use it. Yeah. Okay. So if you're running, do you need loose muscles? You'd need the opposite, right? You need you need the opposite. Yeah. Okay. You need the muscle to loosen up when you need it to relax and you need it to stiffen up when you need it to Okay, yeah. To to stiffen up. Uh otherwise you just like if I was gonna do a bicep curl. Yeah. Okay. So the bicep is not the only muscle that's working. My tricep is working at the same time to slow yeah. down that movement. Otherwise, it's just a non-stop movement, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, and it's a concept we call the active stiffness. Okay. Okay. So when you're active, you want something to stiffen up and something to move. Yeah. Okay. Because that's how you control movement. Yeah. Um, and so rather than thinking about stretching to spend, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes of going through all the body parts, I'll be thinking more of a, a mobility. Workout. Okay. Okay. What, so what is, is mobility, so did, say the difference between mobility and stretching. Is the stretching more so, say, for the muscles and mobility for joints or how no, would you? No, so the, 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 uh, the muscles, the muscles move joints. Okay. Right? So then when you stretch a muscle, you affect the joint automatically. Okay. Right, okay. Cool. So if you're going to do a quad stretch as in bring your, you know, grab your foot behind your back. Yeah. Then your knee is completely bent. Your knee flexed. Right? Yeah, so yeah. then you, you, the idea that you stretch in your quad muscle. Okay. Okay. But you can do that in a more dynamic way. Let's say if you do a, a correct lunge. Yeah. Okay. So you're still in the same position, but then you're using other body parts to control the movement. Okay. Which again, back to what we were saying before about how the brain approaches the muscles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, so yeah. you've got that functional element of it. Okay. So if you mobilize a certain way that's re- similar to the activity you're going to do, it's carried on. Okay. All right. Great. Okay? So there's a, there's a colleague of mine. He's, uh, he works down at, uh, 
Bristol? I think it's Bristol now. And he did, he was employed by UEFA to do some uh, research on hamstring injuries. Mm. And so basically, with the exception of a few clubs, every hamstring injury, he tested them. So you had a device to test the flexibility. And so the theory before the study was that the hamstring that's injured is weaker and it's stiffer. Okay, but he found consistently that the hamstring that was injured was the looser one. Oh, the one really? that was more, yeah. And then it goes back to the active stiffness we were talking about. Okay. So you haven't got the capacity to contract when you wanted to contract, i.e. a high level sprint. Okay. okay. Makes sense. So then you condition it to sustain that training. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Because I feel like there's this whole idea of like, need to be, you know, you need to be really flexible to get the most out of, I don't know, muscle growth or movement and all of that. But that's not... It's not accurate. It's, it's not accurate. It is within context. Okay. Okay. So, obviously, you know, I'm a swimmer. So, I swim, like, with a swimming club, a master's level. Yeah. And, um, you know, I need flexibility to bring my arm above my head. I need yeah. to be able to stretch, right? To stretch my arm forward to pull water. Yeah. Uh, but for a boxer, you don't you don't need that same amount of flexibility. No. Yeah, okay. makes so, sense. So uh, it doesn't mean that if you have that, it's going to be counterproductive. Yeah. Okay. But looking for it to improve your boxing capacity, it won't do that. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. I've, I've also got like, regarding around uh, tight hamstrings, does this affect movement in exercise? My RDO is still causing some niggles in my middle back. So I wonder if this is due to having tight hamstrings. Yep. So, I mean, that's the kinetic chain. So, yep. you're looking at the posterior chain. So, you've got your low back muscles, your glute muscles, your hamstring, your calf. Yeah. Okay. Without going into the upper back. Yeah. So, then if we're thinking of the, the chain, yeah. if one of the links is weaker or yeah. broken, then obviously it's going to have a knock on effect on the other ones. Okay. Like I said about the rugby player earlier. Yeah. Um, so, then is it a case of just lying down and bring your, your leg up? Or is it a case of moving your hamstring more dynamically in the way that you use your body? Okay. Okay. Or is it something that, let's say, is your glute-hamstring ratio wrong and you need to work on your glute more to take the pressure off your hamstring? Okay. Okay? Yeah. So I've seen a lot of times people that uh, will improve hamstring flexibility by doing squats. Because it's okay. a very functional movement, right? It's a yeah. very functional movement. And then it's not because the squat is stretching the hamstring, it's because he activates other muscles that take the pressure off it. Yeah. You know what? It's mad. When I've got tight hips and then doing a squat with load loosens my hips it's sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> my hips just loosen up. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot about this. You, think, you think the opposite, wouldn't you? You think, yeah. oh, I'm compressing the hip, it's going to make it worse. But yeah. What you do is you stimulate in the, the opposite chain. So Akon is antagonist. Yeah. So you, you create imbalance. And it's loosening up. Mm -hmm. so it's mad, isn't it? Like so many people have got all of, so, all of this so wrong where like someone trains, gets a little injury and they just stop. They don't yeah. think about. And even because there's so much, I guess, to think about. And it is, I guess, a lot of detail to most people that don't understand training. Yeah. So even me, yeah. like, I understand training, but I still sometimes forget these basic things when when we're stretching or being dynamic is it more beneficial to do it with load um again it's getting from where you are to where, where you want to be okay okay right. so yeah. there might be a transition between no load and load yeah okay okay so if okay. you're going to 
go and squat and you're looking to do a, a you know a PB of 180 kilos. Yeah, <clears throat> it's unrealistic to go from a body weight to 160. Okay, so then you mobilize your body with in- incremental increase in weight. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. How um how important is having a strong core? I guess like I, I know the core is important, but I think the way that person wrote is also referring to like is it used a lot when we're lifting heavy in say just compound movements or do you have to isolate it to have a strong, or again, does it depend on? Okay. Um, so that's a probably about a three day workshop this. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would you perceive as the core? I perceive it as this section of my torso that needs to be strong and robust for my activities, I guess. That I need so you're to talking do. about your abs? I'm talking about my abs and behind my abs or that whole midsection. Okay. That whole midsection. Because really, but the definition of the core is anything between the bottom of your skull down the top of your hips. Oh, really? Okay. So okay. we're looking at that midriff, the, the body part the without the arms and the legs, right? Technically, the actual core. Of the your actual body. core. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, so if we go back to what I've been saying about functional stuff. Yeah. Um, then, um, you know, you, your core doesn't work on its own. Yeah. Okay. So if you do a squat, part of your core will work. Yeah. Okay. So if you, as you're sitting there, if you put your hands on your, your hips, yeah. okay, and dig into your lower abdominal muscles. Yeah. Okay. If I can find them. So, <laughs> okay. So if you just straighten up. Yeah. What happens to them? Oh, you could, they engage. They engage. They okay. Engage. So if you relax back. They're not engaged. They're not engaged. Right. Yeah. So it's all movement related. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then... Is it realistic for you to go and do tons of lower abdominal exercises? Yeah. To sit down? No. no, no. no. So you just have to sit a certain way if you want, you know? Yeah. So then, um, I, I personally don't do any kind of isolated stomach exercises. Yeah. I don't do encourage people to do them. Um, I don't, I, I encourage them to do functional stuff. So we know that if you, if you break your, your, your back down, when you're using your legs, so there's no way you can use your hips without using your, your lower part of your lower back, of your lumbar yeah. spine, okay? So anytime you do anything with your hips, which is squat, deadlift, uh, lunge, step-ups, running, you train in your lower part of your core. Yeah. Okay? Anything you do for your upper part, you train in your upper part of your core. Okay? So if you throw a punch as a boxer, or you do like a uh, woodchop movement? Is that yeah, right? woodchop yeah. movement. So then you, you utilize the diagonal sling of your body. Okay, yeah. Okay. So if you so what you need to do is you need to involve your your core muscles into your your, your body parts. Okay? So that again goes into a functional movement. Yeah. Now, there's nothing wrong with doing abdominal exercises. Okay? So if, you, if you're a bodybuilder and you want your stomach to look a certain way, I know it's... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more to do with food than it is with sit-ups. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with them, provided you don't do them in a way that compromises your, your overall muscle balance, well, a bit I, of pressure on your back. I know this was over 10 years ago, but do you remember me telling you why I think the grind happened, why, why you told me after the activities I was doing? I can't actually know. It was me teaching loads of abs classes in fitness first Okay. as a PT. Right, okay. A million bloody crunches, a million crunches mm. for no reason. Yeah. You said that created, you overloaded, uh, overloaded it yeah. for no reason, mm-hmm. and then which ended up injuring like, my groin. Yeah. Since then, I've done nothing specific, 
to my core mm-hmm. other than stuff like paloff pressing and wood chops and yeah, yeah. all of that sort of stuff that stuff that's in dynamic mm-hmm. so for people that even want abs or want to work their core I'm probably loading my core more if I'm lifting over my head and stuff right you do you do right you a do. lot more compared to yeah. just so if you do pull ups I mean you, your upper core is working like crazy yes okay so if you do squats with like some resistance whether it's front squat back squat any way you hold the weight your lower core is working hard it's working really hard. You know, do you, do you remember we, we did um, some squats on the Bosu trainer before? Yes. When you had your groin? Yes. I remember shaking. Yeah, because there was no yeah. strength there. Right? So then, but it was all working around your, your, your lower core area. We did a lot of core work on the Swiss ball that I still use today. Yeah. The dynamic stuff stirred apart. Right. Without isolating though. A lot of people listening to this would have used that. And that's because of Nick, by the way. <laughs> that's because of Nick. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right, actually. And it was crazy, actually. All of it was, it was all dynamic. And it was all that whole mid, mm-hmm. mid section. Yeah. Would you say, because it's funny, even like, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He's Sonny Webster. He's Olympic yeah, lifter. Yeah, one, yeah. Friend I, of I, mine. I follow him on, on uh, Instagram. Yeah, I like his stuff. He's core. It's ridiculous. Yeah. He's just so thick. Sometimes when he puts on a t-shirt, you might think he's a bit chunky. Yeah. He takes his shirt off and his abs like, (laughs) oh no, it's just thick. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's like, it's like a wall from all that intensity. And you would never see, maybe you've seen him do some leg raises, but he's never, ever done any. No. He wouldn't sit there doing crunches. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to, right? Because he's overloading so much and using that core anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. How much of your core are you using when you're running, sprinting? Loads. Loads, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you get sprinters with. Yeah. I mean, how much of your core are you using when you do heavy, high-intensity training that you breathe heavy, You breathe really heavy? Yeah. Think of a spinning class. Yeah. Right? So you come out of it, and the, your upper stomach muscles, they ache because you breathe so fast. Yeah. So even when okay? you're breathing. So you're utilizing them. Yeah, okay. Okay? So yeah. it's different to, um, you know, putting lots of weight on them. Yeah. But... See, I find the best, like I, I was um, swimming last night and we were doing this um, butterfly kick on our back with fins. Yep. That kills my abs. Yeah. Absolutely destroys them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's funny because I don't know if like, you notice as well, what I've noticed as well is like, say bodybuilders abs. Mm-hmm. I know genetics plays a huge part, but the way they form is so different to the athletes. Yeah. You can just see. It's functional, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so much more functional. Yeah. Whereas the bodybuilding ones is just, they look really tighter and blocky. Whereas mm-hmm. the athletes, it's kind of more spread out. Yeah. So I guess. But if you think about what the bodybuilder is trying to do. Yeah. Right. They, they, they squeeze them to make them pop out because they show more. Yes. Whereas the athlete, they try to do the sport. They try to do the sport. If not open up more. Yeah. And utilize, be more efficient with the movement. Yeah. That, um, I say there's a lot like, you know, people will probably kind of say, see Cristiano Ronaldo doing tons of them. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Provided he's not, but what I'm saying is like his strength of the core is not gained by doing all those sit-ups he's doing, but the, tra- the rest of the training he's doing. Yeah. So for aesthetic reasons, feel free. I think with him, someone like him is just like straight old school hard work. Mm. Right? He's a freak, isn't he? Yeah. yeah, he's just a freak. And see, he, like, his genetics is ridiculous, for example. Yeah. yeah. Like, everyone's like, oh, how old is he now? He's 30... 36, I think. 36 or 37, Yeah. yeah. Everyone's like, oh, because they do, you see, you know, you see memes online where they like compare 36 year old, say, Ronaldo versus Rooney. Mm-hmm. I'm like, fuck, 
that's got nothing to do with Rooney not being a hard worker. He probably wasn't as hard working as Ronaldo at training, but genetics there is playing a huge part, right? Yeah, genetic plays a big part, but I know a bit on the inside of that and his work ethic wasn't the same. Okay, yeah. Okay, and if you get to that level, maybe 3-4% change in a work ethic makes a big difference. Okay, okay, makes sense, okay. All right, a few more questions, we'll go. I'm trying, basically, I don't want to ask you questions where I know you can't answer because you're going to need more, like, detail. Like, someone's gone here. Oh, okay. Fire away, I'll say no. Okay, cool. Actually, no, this might be a good one. Is it worth getting steroid injection for bulge disc, Scatia L4, L5? Uh, General answer, no. Okay. Uh, so, a steroid injection, <clears throat> so steroid is an anti-inflammatory. Okay. Okay, so if you've got an inflammatory problem into and around the disc, it will be very beneficial. Okay. The, 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 the biggest question is, is the disc bulging an issue? Okay. Okay. So, and if we're looking at the research, we know that disc bulges is not really, they're not really that important. Okay. When it comes to pain. Okay. They're good yeah. for like cushioning your, your, your bones, your back. Yeah. Uh, they bulge. And they go back. So, yeah. they, uh, so they don't, sorry, let's let's say that because it's the wrong terminology. So they don't slip in and out, okay? Yeah. But they bulge and like a cut you can cut off your arm, the body heals it. Okay. okay. So yeah. it closes down and it, it, they, they do heal, they do heal really well. Yeah. Um, so we know that probably past the age of 2025, 20, over 85, 90% of us have some sort of ditch bulging somewhere. Okay. And that's normal. Yeah. That's part of getting older. Okay? okay. But they don't relate to pain. Okay. Okay. Very, very rarely a disc correlates with pain. Very, very rarely. Less than 1%. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, so to have a steroid injection on the disc, if you get some relief from it, it's probably not the disc, it's the inflammation that's around it. And it could be from a number of reasons. Okay, so it could be from like an incorrect moving pattern that puts pressure on the area, creates the inflammation there. Um, could so stress be one? Stress could be one, yeah. So stress, like if, if you look at somebody with stress and you do like a blood analysis, you're going to find very high Everything. Uh, inflammatory levels. Okay. Right, very high inflammatory levels. Uh, so, and, and everything, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of inflammation, then it, it kind of ramps right up again like that radio button I was mm-hmm. telling you earlier um, so my advice to that person wouldn't be rather than have a, a, an injection just get assessed properly okay make sure you go see Nick <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fishing for business but, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah. uh, you know just make sure that the disc is the problem and there's inflammation around it yeah okay the scan does not tell you that okay you need to match the scan information with a proper uh, clinical analysis. Oh, okay, right. Okay, so yeah. go through movement control and some palpation and so the, just to kind of clear out the scan is not a diagnosis. It's a diagnostic tool that gives you bits yeah. to add to your to, to your picture. Okay, amazing. I know Nick's not here fishing for business. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does yeah. make sense. Nick's not fishing here for business but go see him. <laughs> like, he's the best. <laughs> you. <laughs> you are. Um, okay. Uh, 15 weeks PP and pelvic floor still not right especially okay. yeah especially especially when exercising should I be worried um no no but 
what a big question is, is the pelvic floor work you're doing correct? Okay. Okay. Is the technique good? Uh, is it functional? Uh, is, it, is it serving a purpose or is it just a case of squeezing your pelvic floor muscles? All right. Okay. If you just do that, you need to probably reevaluate what you're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. It does so, make sense. Uh, no, I mean, 15 weeks, I mean, depends on, on a lot of things. Postpartum is, you know, the delivery, the, the size of the baby, your, your, your own physique and your uh, pre-pregnancy conditioning, all of those things play a big part. So, but I wouldn't panic now. Okay. But certainly evaluate what I'm doing. All right. I like this one. Any value in getting sports massage one? Uh, uh, one a month to prevent injury? Uh, to prevent injury, again, it depends on how much you do in terms of training. Yeah. Uh, as a rule, no. Yeah. Um, for the same reason that I said about the stretching earlier. So the massage gives you some temporary relief. I use it. Okay. But I use, I, I massage people that tend to be more specific on the injury side rather than everywhere yeah. and the idea is not to cure and it's not to prevent it's to give you a window to go and do the right things yes okay yeah uh so now if you uh, a, a professional boxer and you're in a boxing camp or sorry in a training camp before a fight and you train four times a day then to get that recovery element of it i can't see any problem with that okay but in terms of preventing injuries massage alone no no so it's no. all about the balance and training yeah Okay. okay. Now, if you, uh, you know, you you like recreational training like I am, and you're training like four, five times, six times a week, and you've got a full time job and you've got a family, um, and you go for a massage, what you probably get from it is the relaxation element of it, rather than the, the the specific muscle input. Yeah. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a very helpful thing. Yeah. All right. Cool. Does that make sense? Yes, a lot of sense. Because um, example of that is I want to get back to jits. ASAP came to see you. You done some hands-on work yeah. to like release what give me that window. Mm-hmm. And then I've been hitting the gym since, and then I'll be ready for jits. Well, I've got no reassurance from you, so I'll go tomorrow. Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> I'll go tomorrow. Um, last one: How to overcome the fear of re-injuring yourself? Okay, yeah, that's that's a really good question. Yeah, really. Good. Um, from. Uh, my point of view is a case of, it's called graded exposure. So you you uh, go back towards the way you injure yourself. So, for example, if we get, let's say a classic one is the a footballer with a crucial ligament injury. Okay? okay, Most of them are non-impact. So you plant your foot, your body twists one way, the knee goes the other way, it collapses in between. And... What you find is a lot of times is the fear of doing the same movement. Okay. So what I tend to do is break the movement down. Um, so let's say if you just kind of change the direction, you might be a case of jumping to one side. Okay. And landing and hold the landing. You do that. Then in a different session or in a different exercise, you're jumping back. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then you say to the person, look, you've just done. You jump there and you jump back. You did That's it. That's how you did it. Yeah. Right? Let's do this over and over again. Okay? Now put your boots on. Let's go do this on the pitch. Yeah. Okay? Without anybody around you. Now let's put the ball in there. Yeah. Okay? Now let's do it more dynamically with a cone. Okay? And then you, let's go back into training. 
but let's tell everybody that nobody's allowed to touch you. Yeah. Okay. So that's that graded exposure. It's just going to break down the the scary action of, of movement, and you're progressively increasing like the load. I guess not the load, but like yeah. creating slowly getting back to like full fitness. That functional element. Yeah. So you're telling your brain that it's okay to do that because the brain's scared of that. Yeah. But but if you put all the elements together, the brain is not scared anymore. I mean, so many footballers don't. I mean. Like you get so many not football athletes in general they don't get back to what they were sometimes because of that fear right mm-hmm. so it's very important I guess to do it progressively do you know, I'll give you I'm not going to say his name because I, I don't um, <clears throat> I wouldn't have um, what you call it authority to do that yeah. but there was a guy that came to West Ham um, years back and I suppose if I say the story everybody will guess him but I don't say his name so I don't yeah. care yeah. <laughs> so um so he was on a lot of money. He was the highest paid player at the time. Yeah. Uh, he hardly ever played and they cancelled his contract mm-hmm. um, probably April time. Yeah. So even they didn't even let him finish the season. He was out for so long. Yeah. Um, and he had all sorts of hip and groin and this and that and headaches at one point. It was like a disaster of, uh, uh, you know, an injury record. Um, and he was getting on a bit. And then I randomly bumped him in a restaurant in Mayfair in Langens. Um, and uh, we just kind of started chatting. And I was like, how are you getting on? He says, yeah, good. And I was like, um, how's the body? He says, actually, I'm amazing. I was like, I'm right. Eh? I was like, what happened? He says, um, he says, well, I finished like with West Ham and I had no club and there was low, no transfer window. Yeah. So he says, he went back to his home country. Yeah. And he said, I just started to get fit. But I wasn't doing football training. So he went to the gym, you know, he built his strength, he built his, you know, whatever. And he agreed to go to the MLS the following January. Mm-hmm. And he says for the first time in his life, he had time to work on his body. Mm, okay. Right? Uh, so what I'm going with that is he's, he, well, he says he had a, he had a hip surgery. And uh, he, to, in order to get back quickly, he adapted the way he was playing. So like a 50-50 ball on his right leg, you wouldn't go for it. He would step back and try to defend rather than challenge it. Yeah. Just one example. Yeah. And and if you look back, because uh, I went and kind of searched some of his videos and, and he was so obvious when he mentioned it. By the time we didn't pick up, he just thought, well, he plays this way. Okay. Right? So then obviously he had this kind of six, seven, eight, nine month of conditioning and he says, he went to the MLS and his hip wasn't a problem. He went there in January, did pre-season, feeling fit and strong, and he had a really good season. Yeah. Uh, and that's time. So the, he didn't have the confidence to go for those challenges because he wasn't exposed to it. Yes. Okay. So whether it's the, the physios, you know, didn't push him enough because, he, because it was him saying... I want to play, where was the manager? Like, we really need you, come back, you know? Yeah. You get all these kind of different pressures and then you bypass bits, you cut in corners. Yeah. And I think that's, like, you know, talking about the confidence, you have to break it down and give it time. Yeah. And some of them might take three weeks, some of them take six months. So. And again, it can depend on the injury, personality, how yeah. hard they work, what yeah. they do, and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. But, um, Nick, that was great. Absolute pleasure. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, everyone really that's listening, it. everyone that's listening, um, Nick said he's not here fishing for clients, but if you do have an injury, go see him. 
You can find him on Instagram. I'll tag it in the post and everything. I'll put it on the bio and everything. But uh, where can they find you? Uh, so I've, I've got two clinics. I've got one in Essex in uh, Brentwood and one in uh, the Strand in Central London, both in the Virgin Actors. And what would be the best way to like contact you through? Um, um, phone number, email, online, email. Yeah, in lane, online, Instagram, Facebook. You know, I'm on. I'm not big on those things, but I'm on it. So he's not big on them because he's actually busy treating clients. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to finish that. Yeah. <laughs> that is literally. <laughs> I'll take it. That is literally what you're doing, and he's like. I mean, there's been times where I've gone to him and well, I'm like, I think I need a scan and he literally just touches the muscle and he can pinpoint every bloody tear I've got. It's, um, it's pretty amazing, all that experience. Um, I really appreciate your time. Well, thanks for having me. I really, really enjoy this. Anytime. Um, guys, anyone that's listening to this, if you think it will help anyone, share it, subscribe to the channel. Peace and love and I'll see you guys later.